I'm Anjali Kimlani, senior reporter here, covering all things healthcare, which means everything COVID as well. And that gives me the responsibility and the pleasure to introduce you to someone who needs no introduction, Dr. Anthony Fauci, director of the National Institute of Allergy and Infectious Diseases. Dr. Fauci, thank you so much for joining us today. Good to be with you. Thank you for having me. I'd like to start off with uh, a debate I'd like you to settle for me, please. And that is, uh, right now we're looking at skyrocketing cases across the country, sending daily records at more than 80,000 cases per day. Uh, you know, people are, are saying that this is a third wave, but I seem to have missed that. So I'd like, to, I'd like for you to settle this for me. We're in the third peak, clearly. What wave are we in? Is this an elongated first, a second, a third, please? You know, I look at it more as an elongated and, and exacerbation of the original first wave. If you look at when we got hit badly, which was dominated early on by the Northeastern Carta, particularly the New York metropolitan area, the cases went way up and then came back down to a baseline of about 20,000 cases. So we never really cleared and got down to a very low baseline, which I would consider to be less than 10,000 per day, maybe just a couple of thousand per day. So we stayed at 20. Then you remember when we tried to, quote, open up the economy again and open up the country, there were several states that did that in a somewhat varied way. Some did not adhere very well to the proposed guidelines. And what you saw, particularly along the southern states, Florida, Georgia, Texas, Southern California, Arizona, we started to see a peak that brought us up to around 70,000 per day. Then it came back down again, only to about 30 to 40,000 and was stuck at around 40,000 for several weeks to if not a month or more. And now as we're getting into the cold weather, we came back up again to the worst that we've ever had, which was over 80,000 per day. So if you look at the chart, which you just showed, We've never really had waves in the sense of up and then down to a good baseline. It's been up and wavering up and down till now we're at the highest baseline we've ever been, which is really quite precarious. So, you know, it's kind of semantics. You want to call it the third wave or an extended first wave. No matter how you look at it, it's not good news. That's a very sobering, and thank you for, for settling that. Um, we look at you, know, you for guidance for all of what is going on and, and the advice that you've given, the mitigation strategies, and it seems like you've been able to really get that message out there and directed it to a number of very segmented audiences. We've seen um, just how insulated some uh, populations are in this country as a result of this pandemic. How do you decide to you know, take on some of the media requests when it comes to you know, shows with celebrities or children's shows? Um, I've seen you on a couple of these and, and you make all the time for it, but what goes into that decision of, of targeting these specific groups? Well, I try, and, and my colleagues also. I, I, I believe that public communication, when you're in the middle of a serious a situation as we are now with this historic pandemic, is absolutely essential. And you try to get to various segments of society. So, I mean, I think you brought up a good point. I've done things where you appeal to children to try to get them to understand without frightening them the, the, the crisis that we're going through. You also want to get to the people who are out in the front lines who are putting themselves at risk. You also want to make sure that the healthcare providers appreciate 
uh, realize how much we appreciate them and the risk that they're taking. But you also have to get to another group that I think is a bit more problematic, the people who, for one reason or other, are getting the misinterpretation that public health measures are in conflict with a healthy society in the sense of economically. It's kind of pitting the economic interest against the health interest. And I try and get a point, the point across as often as I possibly can that we shouldn't look as public health measures as something that's an obstacle to the economy. It's a safe and prudent way to get the economy open again. We're not talking about shutting anything down. Of course, often when people hear you want to implement things like universal wearing of masks, physical distance, avoiding crowds, that we're talking about the extreme of shutting society down. We absolutely are not talking about that. We want public health measures to be the gateway or the roadway to safely and prudently opening up the economy again. So you could have both. You could have good public health measures and you could still leave the economy open. But when you do extremes, when you say either shut down or do anything you want to do, it doesn't work that way. There's got to be a mean in the middle there where you can do both. And that's a message that you've definitely been driving in. And unfortunately, uh, you know, against your best efforts, you've also met with some uh, pushback either from the public or even from uh, the president. And so I wonder, you know, as you continue to tirelessly send out these messages, um, you're also met with having lived through, unfortunately, a very public um, experience of what many of us fear, which is the toxic work environment. And you've said you've stuck tr strictly to business on this front, but I wonder, uh, does it undermine your message to have the president constantly say things that are the exact opposite of what you're saying? Well, I would say it's certainly not helpful, but uh, that's something that I, I really don't think I should be, you know, wringing my hands about what I do since this is a limited amount of time in the day. And to just get your energy focused, as I say, like a laser on what you know the proper and appropriate public health measure is and hope that people hear you and understand that adhering to public health measures now is going to make it easier and more quickly getting to where we want to go is to approaching some form of normality. Luckily, despite the fact that we're dealing with a very, very challenging period right now, even more so as we enter the cooler months of the fall and the colder months of the winter, that vaccines are, are proceeding at a very good pace and we should be on time to get an answer. And I think it'll be a positive answer by the end of this year, the end of November, the beginning of December, so that we can start distributing vaccine to those who are most in need, particularly healthcare workers and the vulnerable among us in the population. So that will help a lot, but it's not gonna be solving the problem by itself. We will not, be able to abandon prudent public health measures for quite some time right now. We've got to make sure that's going to be part of what we do without closing the country, without closing the economy. We can do this. I'm absolutely convinced if as a nation we pull together and do some fundamental common denominator public health measures that we can get through this with a lot of help in the future from vaccines and adequate therapies. 
I'm glad you brought up the, the vaccines because that's definitely something, you know, everyone is focused on, especially as we know the uh, deadline is coming to get some of those interim results and, and first looks at the data. Um, I wonder about the effectiveness. That's something that has been a topic of conversation, and I've heard a broad range of commentary uh, from, you know, it will block the virus entirely to it will simply diminish, um, you know, the most severe cases. And, and if anyone experiences the virus, it will actually just be a sort of a milder version. So based on what you know right now and what you're seeing, do you anticipate that the first sets of vaccines out the door will be more of a less effective uh, blocker of the virus? Well, that's the primary, it's a great question. And that's the primary endpoint of most of the virus is to prevent clinical disease, to prevent symptomatic disease, not necessarily to prevent infection. That's a secondary endpoint. But the primary thing you want to do is that if people get infected, prevent them from getting sick. And if you prevent them from getting sick, you will ultimately prevent them from getting seriously ill. So that's what we want to do. The first point, which we call a primary endpoint, is that if the vaccine also allows you to prevent initial infection, that would be great. But what I would settle for, and all of my colleagues would settle for, is the primary endpoint to prevent clinically recognizable disease. And that's what we hope happens. And if we do, that will go a long way to diffusing this very difficult crisis that we're in. Of course, and going to the point that you've made that the vaccine won't be the, the end of the story, definitely mitigation tactics will remain in place for some time. Um, going on to the, the trials themselves, it seems like the UK is setting up to do a challenge trial. And while we already have some vaccines in late stage trials here, um, it does seem that with the number of uh, candidates out there, there's some room for using this strategy. Is the US setting up uh, to do a challenge trial as well? You know, we really don't think that that's necessary when you have so many infections. I mean, we're having in this country, as we started the discussion off, with over 80,000 infections per day. Fundamentally, when you do challenge studies, there are a number of reasons, one of the most important of which is that there's not enough disease activity out there for your vaccine trial to give you a definitive answer. And even though challenge studies may have a place under certain circumstances. It's not the same as the actual circumstances with which a person gets naturally infected. So although you can get some good information from a challenge trial, the real world information that you want is out in the field when someone is actually being exposed to natural infection and to determine if the vaccine prevents against that. So right now, we're not planning any challenge studies because we have so much infection going on. We have five or six vaccines that will be in trial in the midst of these 80,000 per day infection. I think we're going to get enough information that we need to make a decision as to the safety and the efficacy of a vaccine without resorting to a challenge trial. 
Okay, and, and speaking of that uh, an unfortunate number of uh, cases in this country, we know that with the cases rising, you know, being in contact with people is getting more dangerous. When we look at sort of the, the political climate we're in, the, having to uh, deal with the campaigning, we still see rallies happening. And I just wonder, you know, with the recent reports of aides to Vice President Mike, Pre Mike Pence uh, being positive, should these rallies be canceled at this point, this close to the election day? Well, you know, I'm not going to comment on, on, on whether this or that rally should be canceled, except to repeat what I've said many, many times, and I'll repeat it here, that we should avoid as best as possible congregate settings where you have people who are crowded together. If that happens, it should be outdoors, and if that happens, it should be with virtually everybody wearing a mask. So, you know, there are five things that I talk about all the time. Universal wearing of masks, keeping distance, avoiding congregate settings, avoiding as best as possible indoor things where there are crowded people indoors, and wash your hands as often as possible. That goes for any circumstance, no matter where it is and who's doing it. Speaking of the uh, the campaigns, we know that election day is near, and uh, there is either going to be a continuation of this administration or a change. I just wonder what that means for you and your work, uh, what a continuation of the Trump administration means versus what expectations you have of a Biden administration when it comes to dealing with the coronavirus. Well, from my standpoint, I'm going to be continuing to do exactly the same things that I'm doing right now, putting a lot of effort into getting safe and effective vaccines, as well as better treatments. We have some good treatments we can do better. We have a number of clinical trials that are going on for early infection to prevent the need for hospitalization. That's not gonna change no matter what administration is in. And my message, which is a consistent message, will not change because it really transcends whatever administration. The message is the same, the kind of prudent, and careful public health measures that I believe will be able to contain the surges that we're seeing right now. None of that's going to change. It seems like whatever you do does have some level of insulation from some outside forces. We've unfortunately not seen that with the FDA and CDC. And going global, we've also seen the U.S. sort of miss out on participation with some of these vaccine efforts and other responses. I, I just wonder, you know, we, we heard Bill Gates earlier talking about how China is not, in fact, in the driver's seat when it comes to the vaccine. Um, but when it comes to the work that your agency can do, if a country like China does in fact get more attention, does that sway the ability of the U.S. and your agency specifically to do research going forward to have a commanding uh, voice on the response to the virus? Not at all. I mean, we, 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 the NIH and our biomedical research community has always been, is now, and I hope will always be, the dominating biomedical research force in the world, and just about everybody admits that. That's not changed. Whether China does what China wants to do or Russia does what Russia wants to do, what we do with regard to science, the development of therapeutics, the development of vaccines, is something that the world has always looked upon us for leadership, and it continues to this day. 
When you talk to some of your foreign uh, peers, I, I'm sure you're in constant contact. Do, is there anything that we could be doing better and, and should be implementing or other strategies that we haven't tried yet? Well, I mean, you're, you're absolutely correct. I, I am in, in close contact with my scientific colleagues and my public health colleagues, which long, long, long antedated COVID-19. So those relationships stay the same. The part of your question, when you look at what we've done, could we've done anything different? It really depends on what you mean. From a scientific standpoint, I think what is going to turn out, and I hope so, I don't want to get overconfident in it, but I think one of the real successes that we're going to see over the next couple of months is what's happened in the arena of vaccines, as well as, in some extent, newer and better therapeutics. So I, I think we can look forward to something positive there. Could we have done things better from a public health standpoint? Of course, whenever you're dealing with a very difficult situation like that, you can always look back and say there were things that we could have done better and that we should have done better, but that's just the nature of the situation we're in. I think anyone who says, no, we've done everything perfectly is really uh, not looking at the reality of the fact that when you have such challenges like that, whether you're in Europe or in Asia or in the United States, we could always look back and say we could have done a better job. Certainly, and with the changing information, I, I've said often we are watching the scientific process, uh, you know, in a, under a very public light in a way we never have before, and I think everyone's privy to that now. Uh, looking at, at some of the things we've learned, I think uh, this is something that still weighs on some people's minds, or what exactly should we be doing? Uh, so, for example, bringing your groceries in, is that something that you should still be wiping down your mail? What, what, what do you do, Dr. Fauci? <laughs> I get it. I get asked that question all the time. Well, we know that this virus overwhelmingly predominantly is transmitted by the respiratory route, by either droplets that are large enough essentially to travel to get to someone's nose, eyes, mouth, or aerosol a little bit. We don't know exactly what the extent of the aerosol is. We know it, it does play a role. Exactly how much is still being worked out. We also know that the virus can live on inanimate objects. But if you look at the transmissibility, the epidemiology that we have a lot of experience now, that is very likely a very, very minor, minor aspect of transmissibility. It's, it, it, we can't say it's zero. It certainly is real and is finite, but it's minor. So I think we should spend less time worrying about wiping down a grocery bag than we should about just washing our hands frequently. So you ask me what I do when I come from the grocery store or when someone gives me a takeout bag, which I do a lot now because I don't go into restaurants and sit down. I want to keep them going financially, so I do a lot of takeout. So I do have a bag that I bring into my house. Instead of worrying about the bag, I'll open the bag and then I'll just wash my hands thoroughly, which is what you should do. I think doing that natural public health measure and not worrying about touching things, uh, things that might or might not have anything to do with transmissibility, just focus on washing your hands. Well, thank you for answering that one. That was a personal one for me. Dr. Anthony <laughs> Fauci, thank you again for your time. Director of the National Institute of Allergy and Infectious Diseases and the US's top epidemiologist. Thank you again. Good to be with you. Thank you for having me.